On Agenda this week, I talked to Health Minister Laurie Hooper, MHK, and Tinwell Petitioner Alison Ritchie about the health and social care complaints regulations due to be considered this week in Tinwold. Previous debates on this topic have described the process of getting your complaint heard as a bureaucratic minefield and talked about health professionals closing ranks against complainants. So are the regulations independent enough to satisfy the growing number of complainants who feel badly let down? I began by asking Minister Hooper, what's the motivation for bringing these regulations forward? So the key thing is essentially replacing the uh, independent review body, the IRB, with a a proper health and social care ombudsman. That's the, the aim of these regs. So for a long time... Uh, it's been very difficult to navigate the complaints process uh, across health and social care. I think that's fair to say. It came across in the debate last April. Lots of uh, personal experiences people have shared. I've had constituents with the same issues. Uh, it's difficult to navigate the complaints process. And actually, when you get through the complaints process, then getting the IRB to pick up that complaint and do something with it, if there has been a problem, is also very difficult and very time-consuming uh, sometimes. And so the intention behind these regulations is to streamline the complaints process actually inside health and care in the first instance to make sure that all of our commission service providers have a robust complaints process as well as Manx Care themselves, but then also making sure that that next stage, that escalation point, if things haven't gone the way that you'd expected them to and you didn't get the resolution that you need, that you have the ability then to go to an ombudsman who will have an independent oversight of that process and who will be able to respond quickly and keep you up to date uh, with changes and, and the way your complaint is progressing. And it's it's basically just, in a nutshell, that's it. It's making the complaint system fit for purpose uh, from right the way at the ground level when you're dealing with individuals and service providers in health and care right the way up to having that proper independent ombudsman having the overall oversight of the whole system and in terms of this then if you know, for example I, I i end up going into nobles for a broken finger and end up getting the appendix taken out what, what's the first uh, thing that i do in terms of uh, issuing a, claim, a complaint assuming of course the appendix didn't need to be taken out so the, the first step is to engage with the service provider themselves. So the first question would be to Max Care's team, why did you take my appendix out? I don't think it should have been taken out. I need to resolve this. And then the first conversation would be with the people on the ground saying, well, actually, this is why we did it. And as long as that explanation is satisfactory, obviously it doesn't need to go anywhere because your complaint's been resolved. But if it hasn't been resolved, in, I think it's three days, the regs say, it's in terms of on the ground with the people involved, it then gets escalated in terms of, right, now there needs to be a proper investigation. You need to get a proper formal response from Manx Care setting out uh, what their view is on the complaint and what the response is. And if the complaint is upheld, what they're going to do about it uh, and actually then invite you in at the end of that process to talk and get feedback directly uh, from the service if then um that isn't the answer you want. So if Manx Care say, for example, we don't think the complaint's upheld or we're not going to investigate it or whatever reason, you can then take it to the ombudsman. Uh, equally, if uh, Manx Care are taking too long to investigate your complaint, uh, you can take it to the ombudsman before their investigation is finished as well, because ultimately this is one of the other problems we, we've seen in the past. And the ombudsman will then undertake its in independent inquiry and make sure that uh, the response that you got from Manx Care actually is, is right. And if it wasn't, the ombudsman will then produce recommendations saying, well, actually, this is what needs to happen and then it'll be up to the department in its role as regulator to make sure that uh, those things are done. One of the comments that was made in uh, the the, uh, the Timmel debate back in, was it April 2021, Mr Speaker said uh, words to the effect of government employees are, are closing ranks. How does the new, what's it called, it's the Committee of Ombudsmen or? Health and Social Care Ombudsman Body. So, so how, does, how, does, how is that established and how does that stop 
um, you know, officials closing ranks and, and uh, talking a person's complaint out. So in, in the first instance, uh, there are time limits built into the regulation. So in, in case of Manx Care, with your appendix example, uh, Manx Care have to respond within a certain amount of time. So there, there is no way of talking out to the complaint because after a certain amount of time has passed, uh, then they have to respond or you can escalate it to the ombudsman uh, because they haven't done what they're supposed to do. When it gets to the ombudsman themselves, they've also then got strict statutory time limits that they have to abide by or they have to explain themselves as to why not. Uh, one of the other requirements is they have to keep you as the complainant regularly up to date and that's another issue that we have people saying well I made a complaint six months ago and I've barely heard anything about it and so again it's about making sure that this is more there's more involvement with the complainant it's more transparent it's more accountable and so that's why we're trying to make sure that these things that we've seen happen in the past obviously can't carry on happening and and then in terms of that new uh, committee it is made up of health professionals isn't it so it's going to be a combination so uh, as with with uh, any of the tribunals that exist there'll be requirements for some members so for example we want to make sure there's at least one uh, medical professional or recently retired medical professional on the body Uh, we want to make sure there's one social care professional or recently retired social care professional uh, but the others will be lay people uh, in the same way that uh, the current IRB is constituted with with lay people because ultimately uh, you don't necessarily need medical specialists to investigate these complaints Uh, that that will be be part of it Um, but ultimately these this is this is about ordinary people getting uh, the kind of response and the treatment that they expect and one of the best ways of ensuring that is is you let ordinary people have a have a role in in resolving those those issues so the ombudsman body i think will have i think it's up to nine members and a certain number of them will be like i say a social carer or a, a medical professional and there's no reference to the others because there are no specific requirements essentially for the rest of them uh, so other than other than the, the few people on the body who we think we do need certain people from a certain background the rest of them will just be uh, members ordinary members rather than lay members might be a better way of thinking about it and, and how are they appointed uh, the Appointments Commission. So again, that's a part of another process. So from my perspective, the appointment should be independent of the health service. It shouldn't be the Minister of Health appointing uh, people onto the body that's going to oversee complaints. The Appointments Commission is the process we, we normally use on the Alamand to have a, a slightly more independent approach. So it'll be up to the Appointments Commission to run that recruitment and appointment process. And equally, if there are then issues with uh, members of the board, for example, not doing their jobs, then the Appointments Commission uh, will be responsible for uh, having a process to also deal with potential removal of members if that becomes necessary so all of that needs to be independent of the department then in terms of complaints i mean if if we've we've advanced to the uh, the ombudsman and effectively they've made recommendations the manx uh, the recommendations for example to, to manx care manx care has the ability to either respond positively to the recommendations or to basically say actually we don't like that recommendation so we're not going to do it uh, the department then has the ability to direct the uh, Manx Care, but in both these cases it is may, so, so the Manx Care may uh, take notice of the, rec- of the recommendations and the department may direct Manx Care, uh, but both of those leave the option that Manx Care decides, actually I'm not going to bother with this, and the department says, yeah, it's, it's going to be too hard for Manx Care to do, so we're not going to enforce it. 
How is that through the independent? The oversight there then, as with everything on the island, will sit with Timwald. So the Ombudsman reports are public. They, they won't be squirreled away in a shelf somewhere. Timwald will have access to them. So if, for example, something that's perfectly reasonable has come down and Manx Care has said, oh, we don't want to do that, even though it's reasonable, and the department has said, yeah, we don't want to do it either, actually, any member of Timwald could then say, actually, hold on a second, no, no, that's perfectly a reasonable recommendation. Either justify why you're not doing it or go away and do it. And that, that really is the ultimate arbiter of, of uh, any uh, really oversight of any government process is, is Timwald Court. So that's where that ultimately will sit. Um, from my perspective, everything that I have seen about Manx Care, everything that we're seeing in the department, that I, I'm not expecting that to, to occur. The culture is very much one of learning and engagement. And actually, if there are issues and errors made, we need to uh, acknowledge those and we need to sort them. And I think that's uh, definitely the, uh, the the attitude that I'm seeing from, from Manx Care on the ground is definitely the attitude and we've, we're trying to impress inside the department as well and I'm seeing that from department staff so I, I would be very surprised if we ended up in a situation where a reasonable request or requirement from the ombudsman turned out not to be implemented I suspect what's more likely is there'll be disputes around timescales we need you to do this now versus it's going to cost a lot of money and it might take six months I think that's where you're more likely to see a bit of friction but ultimately it's the department's job as the regulator to make sure that these things happen and it's the department's job then to be accountable to Tim Wald for it, things like the timescales for delivery and speed and cost, all of that ultimately comes back to Tim World where ultimate accountability will sit. And, and why are we in the mess that we're in? I, I mean, we, we, we've been talking about this for, what, um, well over a decade now, about the need to introduce uh, proper complaints procedures. Um, it, it, you know, it, this all appears to me, having, having read through this and, and also noting the, the, the rush in which the primary legislation was, was, was pushed through so that the, at least these uh, regulations could be brought forward, it does appear um, as a kind of firefighting um, acts of, of, of desperate people who really don't have enough time to do the, the day job. Um, is that a fair assessment of what has been and perhaps even what still exists with the department? No, I don't think so. I think what's, what happened with the um, the legislation itself was the original advice that had been had was, no, you've got the power to do this, it's fine. It was only at a very late stage the advice changed and said, actually, no, we, we don't think you do. And that's what occasioned the kind of rushed process uh, for the, uh, the the legislation itself. The regs themselves have been in development for quite some time. The draft versions have been on the register of business for, I think, about 10 weeks already. So there's no uh, rush at all trying to get these through. It's just when you have a timetable that Tim Wald has given you, and I mean, Tim Wald originally expected this to be done by the back end of 2021 uh, rather than a year and a half later uh, and so it, it's been a more complex process I think than was originally envisaged um, but no I, I, why as to why we've got here uh, personally I think that's cultural and I think it's a cultural amongst your political uh, leadership rather than, than further down because it does filter you know they say leadership starts at the top and culture starts at the top and ultimately I think that's the problem we've had in the past is we haven't had um, perhaps politicians willing to acknowledge we've got issues and so rather than a culture of saying actually you might have a point here there could be a problem let's try and fix it and there's perhaps been a culture of saying oh, there's nothing to see you know there isn't a problem and I think that's really what's changed uh, you've seen that start to change over the last five years I, I'd hope that's what people are seeing now from the current government is actually if there are problems hold your hands up let's fix them uh, and I think that's where we're coming from as a department at least is being much more open and much more transparent about some of the challenges that we're facing that the healthcare system is facing and most of these aren't new you know we all know and know there have been problems with health and care 
on the island for a very long time. And these things are coming out more into the open now because of the way we're dealing with things and because of the way we're trying to resolve the issues. And so I'm, I'm expecting this to carry on, if I'm honest. Rafts of, of things popping out of the woodwork says this is a problem. Um, but the message I'd like to get across really is I'd be very surprised if these things are new. It's almost always going to turn out to be something that's been building for a long time or issues that have previously been there and just haven't been addressed. And I think this is one of the things we're trying to resolve with this uh, more robust complaints process is bringing some of this more out into the open uh, to give people confidence that when they do make a complaint to, to any health and care provider on the island that their complaint will be dealt with properly appropriately and there will be a resolution and there will be an improvement at the end of the journey. There are at least four pieces of legislation I think uh, I even read a reference of up to eight uh, uh, pieces of uh, legislation in relation to this that are on the Timald order paper how, I mean, just from your personal perspective, how long does it take to read all, all of this, uh, to fully understand it and to ensure that it's right? It, it is a lot of work. I'm not going to deny that. Um, I think there are five regulations on the July order paper. There were three that we did back in June, and that's after doing the bill as well. It, it's a big. It has been a big piece of work. I mean, luckily, a lot of the regulations are copies of each other, so we're essentially setting up the same process for health and for social care and for children's services. So you've got three sets of regulations, which are, for all intents and purposes, the same, just pointing towards different bits of legislation. It's something we're going to try and tidy up as part of the NHS reform work in, in I think, 2024 is when we're planning to do that and the idea there is to simplify the primary legislation but from an end user's perspective they're not going to need to sit through and trawl through all the regulations to understand how the process works all that is going to be very clearly laid out in in guidance and there'll be assistance as well to help get through the process so I'm not expecting members of the public to go through and and read everything uh, that we've prepared I don't think that's reasonable Um, but from Timwell members perspective you're right there are five quite large uh, bits of of regulation from health in respect of complaints but there's 52 items on this month's Timwell order paper Uh, So five is a a small drop in the ocean, I think, compared to the total amount of work that you have to do every month for a a Timwell sitting. And in terms of your items, I mean, I've read through the explanatory memoranda and uh, one particular one uh, in relation to, to, I think it was the health health bit of the regulations, I spotted five typos. I mean, they were relatively minor things, but it does I don't know, it's certainly from my pre- previous days when I was a Timbal member, if, if, if the, the explanatory memorandum isn't right, uh, it then makes you think, well, how much of the actual legislation is, 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 uh, is flawed as well? So um, is, is that something that members should be concerned about? Not really. I mean, uh, I, it's quite a common refrain, I think, that you find is people see uh, typographical errors and that immediately then that's what you focus in on. Um, and uh, it's never been too much of an issue as long as the those errors don't affect the operation of the legislation, then there's no real issue. And actually, the uh, Interpretation Act, I think, or the Legislation Act, allows you to correct typographical errors in, in documents without needing to re-go through the whole process again. So there are mechanisms in place to kind of catch that. Uh, but it may very well be that we've put one or two typos in the explanatory members intentionally to try and encourage Timwell members to read the documents and read the regulations and come back to us with queries. Um, but no, I'd hope that if there is anything in there that we haven't managed to pick up as part of the, the process that we've gone through, that Timwell members would be able to highlight that to us as they do their own independent scrutiny work because ultimately what Timwell approves has to be right uh, and I'm more than happy to make corrections and things if there are errors in there I'm not going to stand on ceremony here if someone points out a problem we'll fix it um, but that's ultimately the purpose for publishing these documents for such a long time in the public eye and to also publish them uh, for Timwell members to read and approve because that, that sense check that second pair of eyes is, is always a good thing. Mm-hmm.
That was Health Minister Laurie Hooper, MHK. Alison Ritchie presented a petition to Tenmold earlier this month about the complaints procedure. I asked her what motivated her petition. A couple of reasons, really. The most important reason is that I've been through the complaints process. I've been through local resolution and I've also been through the IRB process. And I recognise within those processes there were some fundamental issues. A vote went through Timwald in April 2021, which recommended changes that had already been, a lot of them recommended back in 2006. And DHSC had effectively sat on these changes for 16 years. My complaint related to the death of my mother. Um, I still don't have resolution in relation to that, and I never will, but I believe I might get some resolution in making sure that no other family goes through a complaints process like I went through. In relation to the debate in April 2021, uh, talking about uh, members of the medical profession closing ranks, it was a minefield to try and, try and uh, wade your way through the whole complaints procedure. One member who's not connected to me didn't know my story, but... Um, they stood up, and, and can I just read this to you, because I, yeah, I, want, yeah. I want you to understand just how serious this is. The Timwood member said, but in my experience, for constituents and myself, is that you end up giving up because you know it is a completely internal process and there is no fairness in the system for the voice of the individual complainant. I have seen people, constituents, who are virtually at the brink because of the way they have been treated by the process. That's not a complaints process. That is torture, Mr President. That was Julie Edge. Yeah, yeah. And I'd like to thank Julie Edge for putting it on record just how toxic the health complaints system can be for some individuals. We, we, we've heard earlier in the programme from the mm-hmm. Minister. The Minister claims that the items going to Tenmold this week will fix this problem for you. I mean, the, the legislation allows for the establishment of a committee uh, the the Ombudsman Committee, I can't remember the exact title of it now, that uh, will be appointed by the uh, an external process. It won't be anything connected to the department. It's the you know the appointments committee, which is a a, a separate committee, not not a government uh, thing. So the the Ombudsman Committee will be independent. They will then review the situation. Surely that's that's a, a, a good step from from where we've been. They've. The regulations bring in some fundamental principles that are um, already going on in England and Scotland. Um, Rights to meet complainants, um, reports, timescales. I mean, these are basic administrative issues. Um, But the fundamental problems remain that DHSC are controlling a healthcare ombudsman. This healthcare ombudsman is not independent. The previous ombudsman, I mean, there was a debate in 2020 and we, the public were told via Hansard that the independence of the independent review body, the Minister for Health at the time said the clue is in the name, they're independent. And I wrote a paper to Timwald and said, is the clue in the name, are the independent review body independent? And I, I went through several aspects of the independent review body that I'd sort of picked up on the way through. And Minister Allison sort of made comment during that debate that it has to be guaranteed that this independent body is independent of the department and government. Um, So I went through some aspects and during my complaints process, I was looking at things like medical advice and all the rest of it. 
and I was concerned about processes with at local resolution and the nobles' complaints department as to how they were treating people. So I contacted the then director of public health and said, I think you need to look at this because they're in danger of harming people. And she responded to me and said, as the director of public health, I provide independent medical advice to the independent review body for health complaints. And I'm a bit confused about that. How can a, a director of public health have two hats on her head, public health and providing independent medical advice to the independent review body, but not help a member of the public when they effectively whistleblow to say, you've got serious problems in this department. But she can't balance a third hat. The minister would, would say, he would point to the regulations in which it is clear that the new independent review body, the Ombudsman uh, Committee that's being set, set up, will have two, at least two professionals, one registered healthcare professional, one registered social care uh, professional, none of whom are connected to any direct employment on the Isle of Man mm-hmm. uh, with the department or with Manx Care. So, so there is a, a degree of independence there, surely. We've been told that before, Phil. We've been told that this independent review body was independent. And when you look at the Tin Ward Commissioner for Administration report, you find out that the AG's been providing legal advice. And that, in fact, what it appears from that report is that when she um, was asked to go in to investigate potential maladministration within the IRB, DHSC Chief Executive put a stop to it. And the Tin Ward Commissioner for Administration... They said they'd taken legal advice from the AG. The AG, it didn't answer her questions, and she decided to walk away and be pragmatic. And I'm asking, would that be a right decision from a member of the public's point of view? Why wouldn't she go in and get her questions answered? Why wouldn't she um, investigate further? She's got powers for contempt. Um, She can take matters to the High Court. She's got powers for obstruction. This Health Ombudsman has got none of those powers whatsoever. We have to rely on them putting a report on their website that doesn't go direct to Timwood members like it does in the UK. You know, they they report direct into Parliament. This Ombudsman reports into DHSC, who can hold on to those reports, those annual reports, for as long as they want, because the annual reporting they've brought in for Manx Care um, is effectively four months after the period end, which is the end of July, and for the new Ombudsman body, it's 31st of August. But DHSC, it's a bit like letting a fox into the chicken coop. The annual reporting to Timwood, there is no time scale on it. And previously, DHSC have held on to those reports. And their attitude towards, and it's detailed in my petition, um, I questioned why they weren't filing annual reports, because the, the current legislation says DHSC must file an annual report and lay it before Timwood. And the response from the department was, well, that legislation doesn't say we must file an annual report every year. I think there's a thing called the spirit of the law, and when Timwood members were approving that legislation initially, they had some expectation that an annual report would be filed every year, and this is why, and there's lots of things like that, and we don't have time today to go through it, in the proposed regulations, that similar problems could arise. So so what could the minister say um, this week in Tenwold that would give you reassurance in relation to all of this? I think there's a lot in the regulations that need to be tied up. For instance, I think this ombudsman needs to report directly to Tinwald. There has to be political scrutiny. DHSC are the puppet, puppet master. They deal with 
regulation, enforcement, they're dealing with strategy, they're dealing with policy. You know, there's a lot of jobs in there and the system is operated independently across the water. The CQC can inspect here, but they can't regulate and enforce. That's DHSC and there's nothing in these regulations. Two mm-hmm. crucial words, aren't there, in the regulations? Uh, two, two May mm-hmm. uh, clauses there. So the ombudsman mm. uh, makes the recommendations yeah. uh, and then Manx Care may choose to implement That's... the re- recommendation or they may, may choose they not, may not to. And also the department may uh, direct Manx Care mm-hmm. to, to actually Im- implement the recommendations. But equally, they may not. Now, the minister, when I pressed him on that, said, mm. uh, but that's OK, because ultimately, if the department is, is acting unreasonable, Timwald can uh, hold the department to account. Are you, are you reassured by the minister's I words? I can't see anything. I mean, we're talking about health care. So there could be complaints coming in. For instance, the endoscopy, there's 150 people that, you know, it is dreadful. Um, while all the all of this is going on, harm can be caused within our healthcare sector. The staff can't do anything about it. You know, duty of candour only came in in April last year. And in relation to that and what the minister says, I would like to refer to something he said in Timwald when he was a backbencher. Now, I respect that the Timwald debate at the time was referring to the regulation and inspection regime and not the complaints process, but I think some of the problems... Um, that he foresaw when he was a backbencher relate directly to the complaints process. Would you mind if I just read yes, what he said? And obviously he's referring to regulator here. Um, and if, if you go through in your own mind and just change that name to effectively the ombudsman, the same problems are here. So he says in October 20, Minister Hooper says, Thank you, Mr Spe- Speaker. I was not sure when to raise this issue because the schedule references back to the other provisions in the bill in respect of what happens when something goes wrong. I'm not overly happy. Well, I'm not overly happy with at all with what is in the bill as drafted. This amendment is an improvement, but I'm still not quite sold on this because it talks about the department still being the body that makes the decisions. So the inspectors can come in and say, we found a pr- real problem here and you need to do something about it. And the department can say, thanks very much. We're deciding not to take action, and the regulators themselves have no power. They cannot say, you must take action. The department is the body that says, actually, we must take action. Then even when the department says, yes, we must take action, Manx Care, you must do this, Manx Care can say, no, I'm not going to do that, thanks very much. And the department can issue them with a direction, you must do this, and if Manx Care don't do that, there's nothing in the bill that says, really, what's going to happen. Mm. And I think the minister will say, well, Timwood can sort that out. But we could have cancer patients not getting the correct chemo. We could have all sorts of things going on at the hospital. And while everyone's debating and arguing about this, and there's no timescales for issuing these directions in the current regulations, people could be dying and being harmed. And that's how serious this is. When you don't put timescales in and clear procedures as to what happens in relation to directions, then there's going to be confusion and there's going to be harm and deaths. And in relation to the duty of candle, which DHSC have belatedly brought in, it was brought in in 2014, and it basically um, means that you've got to report harm to the patient. In the, in the first year alone at Nobles, there was 20 candle incidents. Six patients have died. That's how serious this is. Now, I know 
that not a single member of staff at Nobles Hospital would have wanted any of those incidents to happen. But now we're getting those figures through and the hospital's got serious problems and I feel very sorry for the staff on the front line because they're working really hard. They're short-staffed up there. They can see what's going wrong. Um, the new board of Manx Care, I think, are doing a pretty good job. Um, Teresa Cope, every time something goes wrong up there, the first thing she says is, I'm sorry. Which is a step in the right direction. Which is a step in the right direction, but you don't often hear that from DHSC. Very rarely. My message to Timwood members today is... They're aware, a lot of them are aware of my personal circumstances. Um, they're also aware, far more aware of me on attitudes within DHSC. Um, Timwood members, um, through a vote, asked DHSC to bring these regulations before them um, by November 2021. We're now in July 2022. That is how much respect DHSC have got for the wishes of Timwood, who were put there by the public. And I'm asking Timwood members to send a clear message back that this is not good enough, that you're late and you've now got a month to put this right. This is absolutely unacceptable. Timwood members have to stand up for members of the public because they've been harmed and people have died, and this is serious. But, so, so, but there's so you... time between now and when it's implemented, in when they want to bring it in in October, there is time now to, to correct some of these fundamental issues that are in here, to put in some timescales and ensure that there is some sort of committee that the, the island gets a properly constituted independent ombudsman. Because the minister knows that this ombudsman is not entirely independent. That there's a clear conflict here. You don't think this is truly independent. The minister, when he was talking to us earlier in the programme, seemed to imply that he thinks it's independent. Uh, is, is that not good enough? Um, I'm I'm a bit confused by that comment, Phil, because I've got an email here dated 3rd of April and the Minister Hooper emailed me personally and he said, I agree this phase of the Ombudsman will not be truly independent. This is because we can't establish an entirely independent body using regulations. We need primary law, which is in the legislative agenda to be brought forward during this administration. So even the Minister agrees with me that this is not a truly independent ombudsman and I would like the public to understand that they're not getting a truly independent ombudsman. So I suppose what you're really looking then from Tinwell, from the minister at least in Tinwell, is uh, an absolute commitment that that piece of primary legislation is going to be delivered during this administration. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I know MHKs have asked for the reason why it couldn't be delivered now. Um, I don't know if they ever... they said, oh, it's legal V-res or whatever it is. Um, but I don't know if any MHK has pushed to see a copy of that legal advice to say it can't be done now. Why can't it be done now? Why can't he tell the public why this couldn't have been done 16 years ago? So did Minister Hooper win you over or do you think Alison Ritchie has a point? Is it good enough to allow Manx Care and the department to ignore the Ombudsman's recommendations? Please get in touch with philgorn at manxradio.com and let me know your thoughts and views on the programme. But for now, I'm Phil Gorn, Goramayu. Thanks for listening.